Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. All right, welcome in. Light Kick is live. It is Sunday night, December 5th, the year of our Lord, 2021. Jam-packed wall-to-wall. We're high atop downtown Nashville, Tennessee. One of our most anticipated shows of the year on an annual basis. We've got conference championship Saturday now in the rearview mirror. I got about probably three-quarters of a voice fresh off a trip from Atlanta overnight to Nashville. We were on hand on the field for the SEC championship game. Yeah. We've got plenty to say about that. We've also got a full playoff field to talk about. We've got several thoughts about something that the expansionists lied to you about, and that was exposed today, as lies normally are. However, slash unfortunately, we lied on the show, and so we have to expose our own lies. In the interest of fairness, if we're going to expose the expansionist, we have to expose ourselves. So I'm going to do that. Uh, with some visual evidence in mere moments. So we'll talk about Alabama over Georgia. I have also got to talk about one of the crazier days on the coaching carousel. And the thing about it is no announcements have been made official today, but we've got Brent Venables maybe in the air right now on the move. We've got Mario Cristobal rumors everywhere from Eugene, Oregon to Miami, Florida and everywhere in between. So that includes pretty much the entire continental or uh, lower 48, as we like to say. So it's a wild day there. Got playoff thoughts, got all this to talk about. And we may even have more before the show ends. As I said, we've got a playoff field set. We don't have a Renaissance Tour destination to talk about tonight. Still working through some things. I think there are advantages for us to go to Dallas for Bama Cincinnati. I think there are, well, there are obvious advantages for us to go down to Miami for Georgia versus Michigan. So I will make that announcement in the coming days. Make sure, though. I mean, guys, make sure you're following on Twitter and Instagram at Lake Kick Josh. I want to commend a lot of you because you peer pressured me and it worked. I was told for two or three weeks, you need to start doing Twitter spaces. Do some Twitter spaces, do Twitter spaces. And as is the case with normal new things on those platforms, I said, no, nah, I'm good. I did a couple last weekend. I did one last night at the SEC championship game with Greg Sankey, no less. Yes, most of you missed that, but it was me and the SEC commissioner talking one-on-one for like 10 minutes. So I'm addicted to those now. And so I'm gonna start doing them more. Uh, make sure you're following, and if you need to Google what a Twitter space is, do it. But they're very fun, very interactive. It's kind of like a live podcast and a live talk show, which I grew up on, radio. And it's all kind of in one. Nice little interface they have there. So make sure you're following there. And the other part that requires you to be following is there's so much breaking news coming that I told Jesse and Colin, chances are we're going to get off the air tonight. And by the time we get home, there will have already been something happen that we are mad we couldn't have gotten in the show. So Twitter, Instagram is probably where we go to talk about it, as most of you do. As I said, we've got a loaded show tonight. Thank you so much. I mean, we've got things we can't talk about that I fully plan on getting in throughout this week. Michigan cannot state in strong enough terms, congratulations to Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan Wolverines for totally turning everything around. It was this time last year that the talk around the water cooler was, is Harbaugh going to even want to come back? And if he does come back, he's going to have to come back at a reduced salary. He came back and had the best season he's had so far at Michigan. And 
I'm talking in the present tense because it's not even over yet. So we're going to talk about Michigan, Georgia. Also, Baylor. I was standing in the bowels of Mercedes-Benz Stadium uh, watching that game wrap up, the Big 12 championship game, as we were getting set to go on the field in Atlanta. And wow, what an ending. And Dave Aranda, in Hannibal Lecter fashion, has a heart rate that never gets above 80 the entire time that his team is making one of the most memorable goal line stands. Oklahoma State has like 100 plays inside the 10-yard line. They can't score. A lot of folks were asking, why don't you just let them score? It'll give you a better chance. Let them score. Mm, not Dave Aranda. Uh, hasn't smiled yet, but that's one of the reasons I love him. Guy's all about the process, and the process yielded a very, very fruitful result for them yesterday. So anyway, we're going to talk about all that throughout the week. That's how loaded the show is tonight. I can't even talk about all that tonight. So let's dive into what we do have uh, some time to talk about. And i got to keep an eye on the eye, Josh, because, boy, we could have breaking news. Any minute could have breaking news. Uh, let's dive into this. Alabama 41, Georgia 24. These two teams played last year, and they played last night, and really all that changed is the venue because the final score is the exact same. I love the SEC championship game. Those of you who are familiar with me or the show, you know I grew up in Georgia, but right on the Chattahoochee River, so right on the fence between Georgia and Alabama. Uh, it is two of the programs that I grew up watching. I am now privileged to be able to cover them. And that event in Atlanta, it's been a staple. It's been what everyone in the South's year kind of revolves around when it comes to the sporting calendar. And so it was phenomenal to be there last night. It always is. But now I gotta be real with you. This was one of the most painful nights of my life, professionally at the very least. It was one of the most painful nights of my life because Nick Saban got me. He fooled me. Alabama fooled me. And a lot of people can just let this roll off their back like water off a duck's back. I can't do it because I'm not supposed to be them. A lot of them, a lot of hashtag the casuals, they picked Georgia to win. Some of them picked Georgia to cover, and they kind of said it nonchalantly. Bama doesn't have it this year, yada, yada, yada. And that's okay. That's all well and good. The casuals screw up all the time. But I was right there with them. Alabama, Nick Saban turned me into a casual last night. And I'm not happy with it, but I'm here to punish myself. So I brought a visual aid. It looks a little something like this because it can't be tolerated. And so I'm just going to hold this up for a second because this is what I deserve. This is my shame. I had Jesse look for string around the office because I wanted to tie this around my neck because this is what happens when you say stupid things. You play stupid games, you get stupid prizes. And this is what happens when you doubt Nick Saban in Alabama. So I am sorry. I am sorry, Nick Saban. I am sorry, Alabama. And I hope to never have to use that prop again. What happened last night? I will tell you what happened, friends. The freeze point got met. You know the freeze point. We've talked about it for years on this show, from back in our independent days and now to present day. Most recently, you would have heard me refer to the freeze point with, oh, I don't know, Michigan versus Ohio State. And Ohio State looks unstoppable, and they're hanging half a hundred, and they're coming in red hot, and they got this receiver, this receiver, that receiver, and they got C.J. Stroud, and Michigan just stones them. They just physically handle them. And you ask yourself, a mere week after being up 49 zip over a top 10 team in Michigan State, how could this happen? It's the freeze point. With the most talented teams in the country, Georgia being one of them, if you don't meet a certain baseline of skill level, of talent in your own right, of the ability to push back, you don't stand a chance and they can embarrass you. And it's the same with water. I'm gonna go over this one more time because a lot of you are getting tired of me referencing the freeze point. There's a jar of water here that's 58 degrees. There's a jar of water here that's 38 degrees. It doesn't matter. Neither is ever going to freeze. Conversely, well, actually, similarly, you could have Akron over here. You could have South Carolina right here. You could have Kentucky right here. And you could have Arkansas right here. 
Those are four very different teams. Arkansas would smoke Akron, but they both get humiliated by Georgia. The score looks pretty much the same because neither meets the freeze point. So it fools you into thinking that teams are invincible. Folks thought Ohio State was borderline invincible, at least when it came to the Big Ten. Folks started thinking this Georgia team, historic defense. We started flipping through the history books. How long has it been since we saw a defense like this? Well, Alabama yawned as they sliced them up 24 points in the second quarter alone last night. The freeze point got met. When you see a guy like Jamison Williams in the open field, for example, as was the case last night early in the second quarter, I believe, that alone is how you meet the freeze point. Number one there, if you're watching on YouTube, there is not another one of him out there on Georgia's schedule. There's certainly not another Bryce Young on Georgia's schedule. Now, this wasn't a mystery per se. Didn't we know this coming in? Yeah, we knew it coming in. The difference was it was very hard, at least for folks like me and the casuals. Yes, we are one for this segment at least. It was hard for us to quantify exactly what that was going to mean. How many points was that going to be worth? Well, it was worth everything. The freeze point got met. Bryce Young is as good, I think, as Nick Saban's had. And Bryce Young, it's very important to note, didn't play last year. He was on the team, but he didn't play. This is not a guy that got some mop-up duty. Even when Tua was on campus at Alabama. He got some mop-up duty, and you saw him earlier in that year where he eventually took over in the national title game. So he had played. Bryce Young didn't play last year. He took some knees at the very end of games. He didn't play. And he's come in behind, up until last night at least, a very subpar offensive line by Alabama standards. It's been a work in progress at the wide receiver core outside of Jamison Williams and John Mechie, who is out for the remainder of this season with a torn ACL. Uh, the backfield has been nothing to write home about, again, by Alabama standards. Very important. And yet Bryce Young has been phenomenal. He is your, what was it, Jesse, minus 4,000 juice favorite now to win the Heisman. Translation, that's over. Uh, his numbers, if you haven't heard it repeated already today, 26 of 44, 421 through the air, three touchdowns, and I would argue one of the most important stats of the evening, a goose egg in the turnover column. Bryce Young, by the way, goes up against a guy five times his size to wrestle away a fumble, and that was about as close as they came to disaster. Georgia, in the early portions of the second half, or the first half, really, if you're thinking about it, they started to bleed a little bit. You could feel it. You could see it, obviously. But I'm telling you, being on the field, when Jamison Williams scores and then Bama immediately pops them again and they go up on Georgia after Georgia has a 10-0 lead, and I know good and well a lot of you were saying, oh, here we go. Probably some of the same suspects who tried to chastise me afterwards for my pick. Conveniently, the same folks who chastised you after the game didn't go on the record publicly before the game. But that's the way it is, I understand. If you want to have a, a show with your name on it, you got to tote it every now and then. So we're toting the L here. So is Georgia. Why is Georgia toting the L? Well, about the time that second quarter flurry happened for Alabama and Georgia started to bleed a little bit, the dynamic, at least in the venue, changed so much. Body language changed. I'm sure the feel at home changed if you were watching the broadcast. And it was, it was just a collective, uh-oh, it's, it's the sign. Every time you see that blood for the first time, it's a sign. It's a sign that someone landed one on you. And in this case, someone landed one on that someone that maybe you didn't think was possible. And look at that. They are bleeding just like everyone else does. And it's continuing to pour and pour and pour. And there really wasn't an answer. Now, I'll give Georgia's defense credit. They did somewhat stymie them in the third and fourth quarter, but that was kind of correlated with John Mechie going out. And it was also Alabama's best attempt possible to run some clock. 
Alabama's best friend to bleeding the clock last night was Georgia having the ball. Uh, but it didn't end up costing them. It was just kind of funny to watch. But when Georgia started to bleed, that was the game changer. Because that was the time, as we talked about for a couple of weeks leading up to this game, where the dynamic for Georgia's offense shifted. You probably heard me say it a dozen times, but we did nail this aspect. When we talked about what would happen if Bama won, what was going to have to happen is Bama put Georgia in a position, whether it be on the scoreboard or just individual series by series, second, seven, third, and six kind of deals, where Georgia no longer got to throw the ball out of luxury. They had to throw the ball out of necessity. And last night, Stetson Bennett, for the first time all year, had to throw the ball out of necessity. And what happened? What happened was, and I'm not putting all this on Stetson Bennett, please don't mistake me, but what happened was Stetson Bennett got in plus territory, turned the ball over. Got in plus territory again, turnover on downs, threw a pick six. That is Stetson Bennett, and that is the Georgia passing game when the freeze point is met and when you're having to throw the ball out of necessity instead of luxury. There was a lot made, and I thought erroneously so, coming into this game about Stetson Bennett and Bryce Young, and if you were to do the blind resume comparison of passing percentages and efficiency, and there was a lot of insinuation out there that there's not really all that much difference between these quarterbacks. There is a Grand Canyon's difference between those quarterbacks. You want to know who else had to throw out of necessity? Bryce Young. Kirby Smart was so honest in his post-game press conference, he said, we never even practiced the run most of the week. We didn't even think they would try and commit to it. And for the most part, he was right. Problem was, they still ran the ball better than Georgia, which is one of the biggest shocking parts of that game I'll get to in a second. Bryce Young showed you what a superstar, what a Heisman caliber quarterback does when you have to throw out of necessity. Now, I want to back up again, because it sounds like I'm trying to dunk on Stetson Bennett. I'm not. I'm not at all. Stetson Bennett is everything he's capable of being. Stetson Bennett's not capable of being what a lot of people hope he can be. And so I was talking to uh, Dane, our camera guy, last night, and we were talking about it post-game. He said, man, I, I bet a lot of people are going to be hating on Stetson Bennett. And I said, you're right. They are. It's a shame they are because all a guy can give you is what he can give you. The problem, it, whether it be in the sports media apparatus or just a lot of fans in general, is you cast your expectation on a team, or in this case, you cast your expectation on somebody. And so you want Stetson Bennett to be a guy that's capable of leading you to the SEC championship and then through the SEC championship and into the playoff, through the playoff, and you want to be able to hoist that trophy with him as your quarterback. And we've maintained on this show for a while, we didn't think that he was ultimately capable of being that guy. And a lot of you disagreed. And so when Stetson Bennett doesn't live up to your expectation of what you hope he can be, then you blame him. Don't blame him. Blame, if you want to, the coaching staff for not having a better game plan and a better situation at quarterback prepared. Uh, but ultimately, you know, if I'm sitting here putting false expectations on someone and they're not living up to them, but they are living up to everything they're capable of, it's my fault. It's not their fault. So Stetson Bennett threw for like half a mile last night. I would argue some of the padlock stats can be found in that very stat line you're looking at right now. In fact, let's get to this. Because if I were to tell you Stetson Bennett ends up throwing the ball more than Bryce Young, I would say that is at the very least an alarm, if not an outright padlock stat, and it's not going Georgia's way. Also, this is the one that when I looked at the final stat sheet just blew me away. If you were to come to me Friday night and you were to say, hey, I got some yards per carry numbers for you tomorrow. Are you interested? I'd say, yeah, what did Georgia do? They double them up, maybe triple them up. Bama, what, probably 1.9 yards per carry? How about Bama, 4.4 yards per carry, Georgia, 3.6. 
Alabama outrushed Georgia last night, guys, and they did it on fewer attempts. I think four fewer attempts. How does that happen? I'm not done. What was the other edge? The other, this is going to be tough to say, alleged edge. Sounds like a, a ska band. The other alleged edge was that seemingly impenetrable Georgia front against this very vulnerable Alabama offensive line, and boy, the harassment they were going to put on Bryce Young. And so let's do a blind resume of our own. It's not quarterback, though. Let's put some defensive numbers out there. You guess on Friday which team is Team A and which team is Team B. Team A, three sacks, six tackles for loss. Team B, zero sacks, four tackles for loss. Alabama puts three on the board in the sack column. They put half a dozen tackles for loss on the board. Georgia does not sack Bryce Young. And it's not because they didn't get penetration. It's because Bryce Young wasn't there once they got to where they thought he was going to be. Escapability, the ability to make plays on the run. Ironically, the same reasons Stetson Bennett is playing over JT Daniels, if we're being real, those were the same traits that separated Bryce Young last night and gave Alabama the ability to do what they did on the scoreboard. You got to give a ton of credit to Bama's offensive line. Nick Saban, I know that he's not one to just be effusive in praise, but he was as effusive as he's going to be in praising that offensive line. Here's what I think he saw. Here's what I think you saw last night. There's a difference in a group of people who just aren't capable of doing something and a group of people who are capable but have just flat out underachieved. And I'm not just talking about players when it comes to Bama's offensive line. Let me be very clear about that. I think that group last night finally got a lot closer to achieving to the level they've been capable of really all year. They've had revolving doors at a couple of these positions. They are on their third center of the year. And it's a guy that no one ever thought would give more than adequate depth in Tuscaloosa. And Seth McLaughlin, I mean, I give him a ton of credit, man. You didn't hear his name called last night. And that is one of the best signs. You didn't really hear Alabama's offensive line talked about a lot last night at all. That's a great sign. But it it just looked to me as the game started to get into its groove that the state that Alabama was put in offensively with the injury to Robinson, and what a warrior he was, by the way, for playing at the level he did or playing at all, but knowing they were not going to be able to lean on the run game and knowing they just had to fully commit to throwing the ball to the degree they did last night, I think it ended up helping them, which is just not something you normally say. Think about what I said to be clear there. Being one-dimensional or thinking they were going to have to be one-dimensional helped Alabama. But when you got a guy like Bryce Young at quarterback and you do have the receiver talent like Alabama has, one of your opponent's worst fears is that you're just going to come in and say, whatever, we're throwing this passing game against the wall and we're going to see what sticks. And they did. And what was it, the 34 of 41 points stuck offensively? What a night. This was Georgia's shot. I talked about how big this game was going to be. Georgia was favored. They were favored for a reason. They had been the better team. In fact, most of my premise for picking Georgia was, if I'm going to be wrong here, I'm going to make Bama do something they haven't been able to do this year instead of being wrong because Georgia did do what they've been doing all year. Well, Georgia failed to do what they've been doing all year because Bama did something that they haven't done all year. But this was a violent swing. I think you're seeing it. If you're a Georgia Bulldog fan, if you're perusing the message boards, I can assure you when you crank up talk radio tomorrow, up and down I-75, you will hear it. There was a violent swing in perception of this program and of Kirby Smart last night. Now, it's not over because they're still in the playoff. We're going to talk about it in just a few minutes. But there was a violent swing. I told you it was coming. 
in the somewhat unlikely event that Georgia lost, it was coming. They know it. In my home state, they know this is their year. This is the year. People have said it behind the scenes about this Alabama team all year. They said, if you're going to get Bama, this is the year to get them. And especially if you're Georgia, this is the year to get them. You got one of the most veteran squads you'll ever have. This is one of the youngest teams. It is the youngest team that Nick Saban's ever had. You had about a 70-30, maybe even 75-25 home crowd advantage last night. Alabama has been vulnerable all year. Last week, they had to completely bear crawl over broken glass to even make this game mean something in terms of playoff. And they've been vulnerable on the back end of the defense. They've been vulnerable on the right side of the offensive line. And yet, there you were last night with the opportunity, and they took it from you. And they beat you soundly. Like I said, same score as last year in Tuscaloosa. The only thing that changes really is the venue. So obviously, we've got a lot more to talk about when it comes to both these teams. They're still alive. We go into the playoff now. This is not something that just wears off over 24, 48 hours, though, for Georgia. Uh, you got a whole different set of cards that you can draw from with Alabama. But with Georgia, I don't know how the locker room is affected. I can assure you the fan base has a lot of the same fears that were in the back of their mind creep into the forefront now. And it is, this is our team. This is our year. We just got beat. So one of our goals is out the window. Now, I mean, what if we don't beat Michigan? Or if we do get back to the title game and it's Alabama there, what are we going to do? Like, what, what different, what changeup, what slider, what curveball do we have to throw? I don't know that you do have one. But that's why they play the game. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I uh, met up with our, with a, well, first off, I met up with a lot of you yesterday. So we did some early live hits out at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And then I was over at SEC Fanfare and met a lot of you. Our friends at Academy Sports and Outdoors prominently featured all over the place yesterday. If you were in Atlanta and you missed them, you had a blindfold on. But I was over at Fanfare and a lot of our guy Alex was there. He's one of our secret behind the scenes contacts for Academy. And a lot of you were there. When I went over there, I didn't even bother to mess with them because there was a line all the way out of their exhibit. I can't help but feel partially responsible. Colin, Jesse, I mean, I'm sure we sent at least a quarter of that line over there. But Academy Sports and Outdoors, they filled our pockets again yesterday with gift cards. And so we just, we just kind of tossed them out. I was in line to get uh, sniffed by the security dogs on the way into Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And a whole throng of Georgia fans comes over. Uh, the folks behind us thought they were cutting in line. No, they just wanted pictures. They wanted Academy gift cards. And we were happy to acquiesce with both. But thanks so much to Academy Sports and Outdoors. They made the whole Renaissance tour possible. And they make the show free possible and they also make your shopping a breeze 
I've driven by a couple of malls in the last few days being on the road as much as I am. I don't think you guys want any part of that. Academy.com is really all you need, whether you got a gift card or not. It's very affordable, it's very easy, and it's very user-friendly, and they're very late-kick friendly. So they check all the friendly boxes. Academy Sports and Outdoors, they are your one-stop shop for all tailgating needs, all Christmas needs, and everything in between. And they are the sole partner of Late Kick Live. So you want to support the show if you want to instead of filling our little tin cup with a couple of shekels just head to academy.com buy a scarf you know buy a toboggan i don't know how you want to live your life but however you want to they can help you academy sports and outdoors or academy.com uh, what a busy sunday this like i said is one of the most anticipated sundays in the college football calendar because there's so much happening so the college football playoff field is set now. We've got, of course, Alabama versus Cincinnati. That's your 1-4 matchup. And you've also got Georgia and Michigan, the 2-3 matchup. Uh, it's a tough, tough day, though. You know? You know what I mean? Do you? Yeah, I think you do know what I mean. It's a tough day for the expansionists out there because the expansionists saw another one of their lies get shattered. And that lie, of course, was no G5 team will ever make the playoff. Well, I see that Cincinnati Bearcat logo there, and I can assure you, Jesse and Colin didn't put it in there just for entertainment purposes. The Cincinnati Bearcats are in the playoff, another expansionist myth exposed. And you would think, therefore, that the expansionists are thrilled. They gotta be over the moon excited, right? The expansionists should be out in the middle of the street throwing a parade, because why? Well, because their dreams were granted. They've been turned into a reality now. Of course, by dreams, I mean, they're longing for a G5 team to be included. That's what this has all been about, right? The entire premise of needing to expand the playoff is because the G5s, they don't have access. And we wanted new blood. Well, there you go. You're looking right now, if you're watching on YouTube, at the playoff field. I count two, and out of four, Stats and Info tells me that is 50% of this playoff field is not only new blood, but mixed within the new blood, you've got G5 blood, that pure G5 blood. And yet all I've seen is complaining from the expansionists today. Why is that? Because they were lying to you all along. Not only were they giving the big lie, which was the G5 is not allowed in the playoff. No, there's a difference between has not been in and cannot be in. That myth has been exposed. But the much bigger myth, and the reason I've always had a problem with the expansionists, is because it's never really been about what they say it's about. Those were some convenient talking points to get you in line with their thinking. All this has ever been about, at the very top of the ladder at least, has been about expansion for the sake of inclusion, merely for the sake of inclusion, which ultimately means a paycheck. Now you may think, oh, everyone says it's always about the money. Well, that's because it usually is always about the money, but that wasn't the trick. The trick wasn't a lot of people with already deep pockets wanting more and wanting deeper pockets. That's happened since the beginning of time. The trick was they had to get you on board. And so what do they say? Hey, guys, help us get richer. Of course not. What they say is, don't you care about the underdog? Don't you care about these poor, innocent G5s left out in the cold? These are kids too. These players have hearts and souls and they work as hard as those Alabama players. And how dare you support this evil four-team infrastructure that's gonna leave them out in the cold? They pivoted today. And they've long since pivoted once they saw that this was becoming more and more a possibility and they're nowhere to be found. You notice none of the expansionists were out there really taking much of a victory lap today. In fact, we on Late Kick are taking more of a victory lap than they are because it was on this program. I should have loaded this video up. It was on this very program on July 18th, the year of our Lord 2021, where yours truly, with the endorsement of Jesse and Colin, at least I think so, they didn't tell me they disagreed, 
We said on this show, and I maintained all year, I never wavered, that if the Cincinnati Bearcats went undefeated, they would be in the college football playoff. Well, friends, fast forward, spoiler alert, if you recorded the game yesterday, the Cincinnati Bearcats went undefeated, and they are now in the college football playoff, making it the first time a G5 team has ever made it in. My buddy Parker, misguided though he may be sometimes, he has a, a good heart, good intentions, but poor takes on the playoff sometimes. I saw him say today on Twitter, he said, make no mistake, no glass ceiling was broken here. The only reason Cincinnati's in is because other teams lost and they had no other shot but to put them in. Uh, that's accurate. That is actually true. Uh, it's just, I don't get the point. Like That's always been the path for a G5 team. It's the reason that I said what I said about Cincinnati this year. It was because I thought so many dominoes were going to be knocked down because of the hashtag renaissance season that there was going to be an open path, at least wide open enough where if a G5 team, in this case Cincinnati, took care of their business, they were going to make it in. Well, one did and one made it in. That should always be the path for a G5 team. Fact number one, Cincinnati's in the playoff, and I think they deserve to be in this year. Fact number two, no other G5 team's ever made it in, nor, in my opinion, has any other G5 team ever deserved to be in. When we weigh all the criteria, and we weigh, to me, what is pivotal, which is strength of schedule, and the baseline that you need to meet to even be involved in this conversation, and see when we measure the rest of the landscape. You can go back to your Central Florida examples all you want to, or even go back further than that. The fact of the matter, I guess a fact in my opinion, is we haven't had a landscape like this. This is the landscape you needed. Cincinnati got the landscape. Let me give you some quick thoughts. Obviously, we're going to do full game breakdowns on both of these. I, I got to choose which one of these games to go to, so I'm going to need some assistance there. Uh, yes, there is a draw to being in South Florida on New Year's Eve. There is also a draw to being at a game that starts at 3.30 p.m. on New Year's Eve, and I think you know what the draw is for me. I am not a social butterfly like some of you. I would just assume be 35,000 feet over Arkansas when the new year rings in, as opposed to being wherever you guys are going to be in Dallas. So we got to figure that out. We got time. First matchup is 3.30 Eastern time on Friday, December 31st, the last day in the year of our Lord, as it turns out, 2021. I am a believer that there is a perfect atmospheric scientific metaphor, a fancy term for weather, that ties into Alabama being allowed in the playoff. You don't want to allow a vulnerable Alabama team to get in the playoff. You want to blame someone, blame Georgia. They had a shot. Blame Auburn. They had a shot. And they didn't, they didn't fully take the crowbar to the shin. They just grazed them. And so Alabama limped around, but then they got their footing back and they kicked both of them in the face. Well, now Alabama's in the playoff. And the weather equivalent of this is when you're looking down in the Lesser Antilles, the Caribbean, you got a disorganized low pressure system, but what happens? It gets into the Gulf. And it gets into the Gulf in early to mid-September when it's as warm as bath water and you haven't had any upwelling. Translation, when another system has come through and churned the water up and brought some of the cooler water up to the surface. And so there's just that warm, moist surface layer and it's a perfect fueling environment for a tropical storm or a hurricane. Well, once an injured Alabama gets through the SEC championship game, and once a vulnerable offensive line finds its way in the SEC championship game, now you let it get into the Gulf, which in college football playoff world is December. Now they've got a few weeks to get healthy, and they've got a few weeks to get Brian Robinson 100%, and they've got a few weeks, and this is going to be crucial, this is one of the biggest points of this game, to get that wide receiver core fixed the way it needs to be with some of those younger guys, because John Mechie is not going to play in this game. He is a great receiver for them, but his hidden skill 
And the reason he's on the field so much for him is he is their best perimeter blocker. You know, he is what a lot of those guys in years past have been. I don't think he's gotten enough credit for that. Uh, but a lot of what you've seen Jameson Williams do this year in the open field has been because of John Mechie. So I don't know if it's going to be a Jai Hall. Ja'Cory Brooks has already been on the field. JoJo Earl, according to Nick Saban, may be available in this game. you got Christian Leary. They can get creative with him. Uh, that's something to watch here. Cincinnati, hey, I think is better at quarterback than Georgia was. Desmond Ritter is a very good quarterback. Jerome Ford, a former Alabama player, transferred to Cincinnati. He, is, he was on my All-American list I filled out today. He was one of the four running backs I put on my All-American list. Yeah, I, I don't know if you guys knew that. I do fill out an All-American list. But here's the thing I want to focus on. Ahmad Gardner, nickname Sauce. You will hear that name. And that's a guy that is going to have maybe, by some opinions, the unenviable task, or maybe in his opinion, a welcome challenge of trying to man up against Jamison Williams. Now, that is a tall task for anyone. Uh, there are some racehorses that I would not like in that matchup. But at the very least, Cincinnati will look at that and they'll say, okay, we're going to make someone other than number one beat us. We've got a guy that can greatly help us there. If they cannot fill the void of John Mechie, and maybe if, if we can limit them running the ball, then maybe we give ourselves a shot here. But the wide receiver depth is what I'm focused on with Alabama the most. What about Georgia? How about these dynamics, by the way? Georgia is playing Michigan. This is the 2-3 game. This is in Miami. It's the late kickoff. It is 7.30 Eastern time on New Year's Eve. And Georgia opens as a 7.5-point favorite. When I mention dynamics, the reason I'm mentioning them is because Georgia finds themselves as it relates to Michigan, in the exact same spot they found themselves in relation to Alabama last night. The difference is, instead of telling a team for one week that you don't have much of a shot, Michigan gets three weeks to be told they don't have much of a shot. I've seen Michigan in person two times this year. You watched them body bag Iowa last night in front of God and everyone on national TV. I can assure you, Michigan does have a shot against Georgia. Now, what specifically is it gonna take? Well, obviously we'll do that more in our game breakdown. But Georgia, they're going to have to run the ball better regardless of who starts at quarterback. The talking uh, for the rest of December, right on through Christmas, is going to be JT Daniels, JT Daniels, JT Daniels. Are we going to get him ready? Because we can't be putting Stetson Bennett out there. Listen, if you're barely cracking 100 yards on the ground, I don't really care who you have out there. And Michigan is a salty defense. They can get pressure with four, but they can also limit you on the ground. This is not going to be an easy matchup at all for Georgia. Uh, Michigan... You know, when you look at them offensively, I think they've evolved fairly rapidly this year. They, they kind of had a little bit of an Oklahoma State vibe to them, only Michigan is a better team than Oklahoma State. But both of those teams were getting by early, and then they started to get some margin on teams a little bit later in the year. Now, Oklahoma State still didn't have much of an offense. Michigan's got a pretty good offense. They can have balance. They can achieve real-life balance, not just 50-50 on a piece of paper. But it's all about the response from Georgia. I think this is more about Georgia than Michigan, but I think I am more fascinated by Michigan than Georgia. Response for Georgia. Like I said, when they go in there last night, they know they have a safety net under them. They know they can lose to Alabama. They can still make this game. Yeah, they know all that. But it's still about response because now there is no more safety net. Now it's do or die. It's playoff setting. And there's as much uncertainty around this Georgia team now as there has been all year and it's weird that your uncertainty peaks in December, but that's what happens when you don't play a schedule that's built to expose you necessarily. I'm not saying it was a weak schedule, 
I'm saying relative to the one Bama played, it may have been weaker. There's some people trying to hate on Georgia's schedule. They played Arkansas. They played Kentucky. They played Clemson. And I can assure you, if a G5 team had played those three, you would be yelling it from the mountaintops. Georgia played an okay schedule. Not the strongest in the world, but they played an okay schedule. They didn't play quarterbacks or wide receiver units that were built to expose them. Bama did. Now we'll see what Michigan can do. But that external dynamic, the one that we can't quantify, the one Nick Saban smiled and talked about last night in the postgame, that yummy rat poison, as he put it, Michigan gets it for three weeks. They get to look, at least right now, at a number even fatter than the one in the SEC championship game. Last night it was six and a half. Now Georgia's favored by seven and a half. That's going to be, uh, that's going to be a fun one. Uh, there's at least a 50% chance we'll be there. That's going to be a fun one. Those are some early thoughts on the playoff. Be very interested to hear what you guys had to say. Did you notice, as it turned out, there was really no gnashing of teeth today? Everyone pretty much agreed, maybe not in the ordering exactly, but I think most people even agreed in the ordering. And the committee, I'll give it to them. It wasn't that hard to do this year. This makes, well, every year so far that I think they've gotten the field right. So as much complaining as I do sometimes, the end result I have agreed with. And so I don't have a poster over here like I did for the Nick Saban apology. But thank you, committee. Thank you for that. I got about 3,500 of you. Wow, tuned in live. So let me go and say hi. Thank you for that. Uh, and also, make sure you are subscribed to the channel. If you're here right now, you might as well do it. You don't have anything better to do because I'm, I'm about to shut up for like three seconds and let you do it. Subscribe. It's the little red button. It's free. Doesn't cost anything. We had a massive spike in subscriptions when I merely asked you for it last week. So um, for those of you who didn't already, please do. And thank you. Somebody said hi. Ryan, hi. Mike, hi. Thank you, guys. Hi, hi. Uh, I, this is interactivity at its very peak, guys. So... Here was our conundrum today, right up until showtime. I, um, I do the show live. I don't ever want to pre-record the show. We are live as live can be right now. Now, obviously, that has its pitfalls. And the pitfalls are this time of year, especially after conference championship Saturday, anything could happen in the coaching world. Anything and everything is on the table. So the entire production team, we had to huddle around today in the only... Uh, air-conditioned room in this whole building right now. Yeah, it's, it's a building. It's all of like seven months old, so it stands to reason the AC doesn't work anymore. But we had to huddle around and we had to talk about what's going to happen with Mario Cristobal. How do we handle this on the show tonight? And even as I sit here right now, there's really not a great game plan on how to handle it. And so here's what we know. Colin, I doubt we'll even be able to post this video because it's probably going to be dated by in the morning. But here's what we know right now with Mario Cristobal. Mario Cristobal reportedly, I'm going to use that word emphatically, reportedly, and it ain't me reporting it, reportedly Mario Cristobal has been in extended and very, very deep discussions with Miami to take over as the Hurricanes head coach. Now some of you out there who don't live in this world and you just live in a normal world, but you're privy to the inner workings here, you may say, how can he be a candidate for a job that's not available? Uh, well, the answer to that is Miami. Or I guess the better answer is college football. That's the only way I can explain that. So you got a guy right now that is the current holder of a position. And his employer is saying, stay right there, don't move. But if we go get someone that we like better than you, then we're going to tell you to move. Got it? Okay. That's the situation at Miami right now. I'm not one to tell someone how to run their house. 
I have been one that has been a little bit wrong, maybe, maybe wrong on this. I am going to save that full mea culpa for if slash when this is made official. Because again, as of, uh, you know, we're, we're 737 Central Time right now. And we don't have anything firm and definitive and official out of the mouths of anyone we're ready to run with. I can tell you, if this does happen, if Mario does leave Oregon for Miami, it will have come as a surprise to me. When I say come as a surprise, I don't mean at this moment. Obviously, I see the smoke. Obviously, you can read tea leaves. But in a general sense, this will have come as a big surprise to me. You guys know I was very outspoken on this about, what, a month or a month and a half ago. We still have the video. I've seen Twitter today. I know a lot of you still have that video. I'm not going to run from that. Don't you worry. I'm not going to delete that or anything. And if I did, you probably saved it already anyway. We'll own it. And I will talk at length about what was wrong that we said and where it was wrong and why it was wrong or maybe some parts that were at the moment right and then things changed and that would all be complimentary towards Miami. If this happens though, this is a landscape changer in South Florida because you have to understand something. If Mario goes to Miami, it's not just him moving. It coincides with fundamental changes that have been promised about the program. And that's the biggest takeaway here. It's not just we got our guy, he's coming home. For those unfamiliar, Mario Cristobal played at Miami. It's not just that. It's what it took to get him there. And what it will take to get Mario Cristobal there would obviously be massive promises on investment in facility upgrades. You'll have a huge salary pool, obviously. It would probably require an extensive promise on NIL infrastructure. Same kind of thing Texas is doing right now. Same kind of thing Southern Cal is doing right now. Same thing a lot of programs are doing behind the scenes. I, and I want to pause. I know you see headlines sometimes. This school's doing this. This school's doing that. A lot of them are doing it, guys. It's just not everyone puts a press release out about it. So it's not just Texas, for example, that's doing a version of what you saw last week with that whole $10 million budget for NIL I'm not saying everyone's putting $10 million in the coffers. I'm saying a lot of programs are doing versions of that. Well, Miami would be doing, at the very least, a version of that. And also, because of that, if you get him home, that's the game changer in recruiting, obviously, that we've been looking for. And by we, I even mean me in this case. We've been looking for someone to come in and lock in more of the in-state talent in the state of Florida. Could have been in Gainesville, could have been in Tallahassee, could have been in Coral Gables. Ideally, more than one of the three. But every year, as we talked about, that you watch Nick Saban or Dabo Swinney or Ryan Day come into South Florida and have more success than the in-state programs is one more day further away from parity you are in college football. That's been the secret. The secret's not expanding the playoff. The secret's not lowering scholarship numbers, none of that garbage. That's all cosmetic, and the big boys will find a way around it anyway. They're going into South Florida and taking the talent. you got to cut off the pipeline from leaking out of state, at least as much as you can. A hire like Mario Cristobal begins to go a long way in doing that. Hopefully other programs keep up their end of the deal too. None of this is official though. So we got to dot the I's, we got to cross the T's. My best guess is there's far too much smoke here for there to not be any fire. But again, we've seen 11th hour changes of heart before, so we just got to make sure before we run with this. But right now, I think there's a lot of reason for optimism. Now listen, this puts immense pressure on Mario Cristobal. Uh, they finished the season very poorly this year, and I don't think he'd argue that. Of course, you could counter 
now we know what's been going on behind the scenes. And maybe you could argue with me, and I don't know that I would disagree. Maybe that was a factor for his team checking out on him. Maybe he wasn't all in. Is that excuse making? Yes, it is. Are some excuses viable? Yes, they are. So we'll see. That's it. That's dot, dot, dot. We'll see on Mario Cristobal. There is another coaching carousel a uh, bit of smoke that has turned into more of, I would say, a bonfire to a forest fire. This is my favorite thing when Jesse walks in the studio. <clears throat> All right. Timely. Timely. Okay, so you see this. This piece of paper wasn't on the desk uh, two minutes ago. According to Pete Thamel and Bruce Feldman, Brent Venables and Oklahoma have finalized the deal. Bruce Feldman and Pete Thamel are names we can rely on here. And so we know now Brent Venables is headed to Oklahoma as the new head coach. So what I'm going to do is for a second, I'm going to pause. And the reason I'm going to pause is because um, when we're going to put this video up, I know what you guys are going to do. You were going to say we had the wrong lower third. And so for the sake of the live audience, bear with me for five seconds so that we can get production and get our lower third up the way we want it. Uh, this is a big deal, though. So this has been going on for a few days. Uh, Lincoln Riley was fired. What the, well, he didn't he get fired. He left. And this was about a week ago. And it's been an eternity in Norman. It has been an eternity in Oklahoma. But now here we go. So Colin, here's your end point. Bruce Feldman and Pete Thamel both reporting at this hour on Sunday night. At long last, Brent Venables and Oklahoma have finalized a deal. Brent Venables, longtime Clemson defensive coordinator, will become Oklahoma's new head coach. College football coaching searches are just phenomenal. They're great. I wouldn't have it any other way. This coaching search feels like it's been going on a long time. It's only been a week since Lincoln Riley said, bye, I'm going to Baton Rouge. Scratch that, I'm going to Los Angeles. And the coaching search, it, it, it barely had time to get off the ground, but yet you've had 37 updates from all the different websites that cover Oklahoma, and you've had hundreds or to thousands in those Twitter spaces that even got my attention talking about this. But finally now, we know. It's going to be Brent Venables. Now here's what I love about coaching searches. Let me give you a little inside baseball or inside football if it, if it were. In the world of college football coaching searches, you're looking for one of three telltale signs that you got your guy. One of those telltale signs could be a screenshot from flytoware.com. The second could be inside information from a cousin's buddy who's a real estate agent in the potential market that the coach is moving to, at which point you will be told the head coach's wife is already there looking at apartments or maybe even looking at houses. But that's not what we got today. I got to give TigerNet credit. They got the scoop finally hiding in some form of bush or tree. They got us the critical third potential piece of evidence, and that is a sketchy photo from someone's backyard on their lake house with a moving dumpster already on the driveway. That is Joe Castiglione, who is the AD at Oklahoma, and that is Brent Venables, and they're wearing suits. And you know good and well, no one wears suits to go eat porridge or talk about what they're gonna do for Christmas. They are negotiating a contract. And as it turns out, that contract has been finalized, again, according to Pete Thamel and Bruce Feldman. If this is true, which we assume it is now, that means Oklahoma has accomplished two major goals. I love the picture, by the way. I would love to do the rest of the show. <laughs> you got Castiglione, you got Brent Venables in a giant red dumpster. I'm trying to paint the picture for those of you listening on podcast. So they're accomplishing, I think, two of their major goals here. The first is they got someone who is intimately familiar with Oklahoma. Brent Venables was at Oklahoma for a long time before he ended up going to Clemson. The second box I think they checked, which may take you by surprise, 
is I think they got a guy with adequate experience. Now, you may look at that and you may say, what are you talking about? He hadn't been a head coach. He doesn't have experience. That's true. He has been around one of the best, though, in Dabo Swinney. And Brent Venables has himself sort of been the face of that program to a degree. I know it's different. I know it's different coordinating a defense as opposed to running a program. I'm not saying he's fully up to speed and well-versed on every intricate detail that it takes to run an organization, but I also don't think he's totally green. I think he's been able to observe. I think he's probably learned a lot. So you combine that with the familiarity. I think in those categories, it's a good match. I still have question about just the fit overall. Fit has been the word of the month, but they do have reasons to have some question, or at least I do. I say they, they may have all their questions answered, but recruiting wise, you don't know until you know, really. It's different when you go into a living room and you got a tiger paw on your polo, but you're representing someone else's program versus going in there with that OU on your polo, but you're representing your program. They're no longer going to play for Dabo Swinney and you. They're coming to play for you. So we, we sit here and it kind of remains to be seen how Brent Venables will do from a recruiting aspect. Leading an organization, you can't know until you know. You know how he leads a defense. You know the feedback and the testimonials, but we've never seen him lead an entire organization. And you can't know that. That's the risk you take. They are willing to accept that risk at Oklahoma. The third and the most important I say this anytime we're bringing a guy up from G5, like Billy Napier to Florida, or in this case, we're bringing a guy who was a coordinator into the head coach's chair. I don't give it a grade. I don't even formulate a full opinion until I see the staff. I mean, we've got a lot of rumors out there right now about potentially Jeff Levy at Ole Miss, who, according to some, is the straw that has stirred the drink there this year offensively. Maybe he goes to Norman as new OC. Joe Brady got the can today at uh, the Carolina Panthers. And so maybe him, I, I think that may be a little more far-fetched than you think. Uh, but Jeff Levy's been a hot name there. There's some people who already think that's done. Again, that could change by the time we go off air. Staff is critical. And, and not just assistants and on-field guys. You got to get your director of player personnel in there. Uh, you got to get an entire sports science team in there. It is critical that Brent Venables nails the sports science and nutrition aspect of his program. Some of this stuff's boring to talk about, and you never see these people. I can assure you. I was on the field last night after Bama beat Georgia, and a lot of those names and faces that you may not know but are critical to making that program run, that were critical to some of those players even being able to get on the field last night, you got to have them. If you're going to compete with the Alabamas and Georgias, you got to have personnel and you got to have a massive army of a staff like they have. And to do that, you got to know how to build it, and you've also got to know who to go after. You got to have their trust too. Here's the third part that would concern me about any new hire. This is not even Brent Venables. Think about how much the landscape's changing right now. Think about what you have to have in-house when it comes to NIL, but also what you have to have in-house when it comes to the transfer portal. You've got coaching staffs now that have college scouting departments. That didn't exist five years ago. By that, I mean there are people in your organization whose specific job it is to be scouting college players because at any time they could go in the portal and it's no different than NFL free agency. Well, you didn't used to have that, and now you do have to have it. Listen, Venables just left Clemson. Dabo Swinney's struggling to adjust on this, and Dabo's been at it for a long time and won a couple of titles. This stuff's not easy. So I think building a program now is probably harder than it's ever been just because there are more layers that you have to build. But I will, I'll say this now. If a lot of folks out there in Oklahoma are using the H word, hate, towards Lincoln Riley. 
I'm sure you guys don't mean it, but for argument's sake, if you do hate Lincoln Riley, you'll probably love Brent Venables because they are total opposites, at least from a personality and an approach to life standpoint. They are total opposites. I was over on OU Insider today, and I saw probably my favorite quote of the month so far. And that quote was from Iowa Sooner 387. And he said, Lincoln Riley was like the Corvette you can't drive in the winter. Well, I can assure you, Brent Venables has chains on the tires. He's got four-wheel drive and not the optional kind that you have to shift into and come to a complete stop. He can drive around in the winter. He's a guy that's very no-nonsense, probably not going to be the most friendly if you run into him in a coffee shop, probably get someone to go get his coffee for him. But he has been around winners. They are betting that he knows how to win. I'll be interested in watching this. I just think it's refreshing to see defensive names getting shots at big head coaching positions in a conference that just a few years ago people thought would never be the case anymore. No one's ever going to hire a defensive guy out here anymore. Well, the names that were bantied around a lot for this job were Dan Lanning, head coach or uh, DC at Georgia, and Brent Venables, DC at Clemson. So the Oak, because of the nature of Brent Venables, the OC hire there is going to be very, very pivotal. Good show tonight. Uh, you know, in some cases, we know no more than we open the show with. Uh, keep it locked on Twitter, at LateKickJosh. Obviously, if something breaks with Cristobal to Miami, I'm going to have a lot to say. I'm going to have a lot of apologizing to do, but I'll have a lot to say. So uh, that's the place to be. There's a ton of stuff happening this time of year, so make sure you're following there, at LateKickJosh. For Jesse Collin, our entire crew here, I'm Josh Payne. Have a great start to your week. We've got some interesting things coming up this week. You'll know when it's time to know. Until then, have a great week and God bless. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.